It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Eric Rieger. Eric is the founder and CEO of Webit Services, an employee-owned, people-focused IT strategy, service, and support company serving organizations in eight counties in Northern Illinois through the remote workforce around the country. In addition to providing managed IT services, the SecureBit Managed Security Team helps organizations identify and reduce risk, and Webit's upstream impact software division creates applications that help nonprofit organizations achieve their mission. Their most recent application, Pantry Easy, is an online market that helps food pantries get their goods to their clients quickly and efficiently. Webit's goal is to positively impact 1,200 organizations by the year 2030. Eric Rieger, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. I appreciate you having me on and uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Oh, it's great. It's great. I know we had a, a, a malattempt a, a, a week or two back <laughs> and, you know, these things are always for a reason. I think I ended up having lots of technical difficulties that day, but uh, you would have been the guy to call, right? So uh, we want to hear a lot it's about that. You've been job doing, security. Yeah. You've been <laughs> doing this for about a quarter century and I want to talk a lot about Webit services and how you've grown over those years, but we always kind of like to start with the early years and and uh, talk a little bit about our CEO guests, you know, where they grew up and what their early family's life was like. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've lived in the Chicago suburbs my entire life. Uh, grew up in a, a town called Berwyn, Illinois, uh-huh. um, and then moved to Darien and then eventually settled in Aurora, which is uh, uh, right next door to Naperville where our office is. Um, so the, the childhood years, um, you know, I was, I've been an introvert most of my life, mm. um, as far as I could, as far as I could tell, you know, I, I always had imaginary friends and, uh, a creative, a creative mind. Uh, and what did, what did dad do? What was his uh, profession? Uh, well, if you asked him, he was a transportation engineer, uh, which is the fancy term for truck driver. Uh, okay. He did long haul, long haul transportation for close to 50 years. Wow. Wow. And mom, was she work from the home? Uh, she kind of on and off and managed a veterinary clinic for a little while. So a lot of animals in the house. We typically had three or four dogs uh, at any given time. We are always taking the strays in. Fosters, and, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Fun stuff. Brothers and sisters? Uh, no, only no? child. Only child. Cool. Yep. Only child syndrome. Yeah. Early on, did you have some of those engineering capabilities? I mean, were you the kid at, you know, at Christmas time that always helped figure out everybody's instruction manuals and put stuff together or did that come later in life? 
I, I was always curious about things. So mm -hmm. like I was good at taking stuff apart because I wanted to see how things worked. Mm -hmm. um, the aptitude to putting it back together that that my my dad had that so he would typically wind up helping me put things back together but uh yeah just the natural curiosity of uh taking things apart because i had to know how they worked right right cool and were you a good student in school yeah um for the most part you know things are relative and um you know from a grading standpoint when i was in uh, elementary you know uh, mostly a's and b's uh, got to high school, you know, first year, uh, kind of same thing. And then I just got bored with it. Um, yeah, yeah. probably more challenged, right? Yeah. I, people tell me that I was kind of ahead of the curve in some things and I, I don't necessarily consider myself smarter than anybody else. It was just, it was more of a, a, a boring kind yeah. of thing. And I didn't realize I was dyslexic as well. So uh -huh. reading was a yeah. challenge and we didn't have audible back then. So, right. you know, right. I kind of checked out a little bit. Yeah. And was that identified at it? certain point in time and did you have to get some training on that or did, did the dyslexic knowledge come a lot later it it showed up later uh yeah. in in my journey to the to the corner office so right. that's uh <laughs> yeah. I, I would have loved to have that early on because that would have definitely made some things a little 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 easier or a little less frustrating i think sure sure what about extracurricular activities did you enjoy sports or get into debate music anything like that growing up yeah, for me it was uh, hockey, ice hockey. Um, that was mm -hmm. my my chosen sport, and uh, we didn't have a, a high school team, but we had a club yeah. team. So most of the most of the people who were interested in that, we played, and uh, we weren't very good, but it was uh, you know we did get out, <laughs> stayed out of trouble. Have you hung up your skates, or do you still get out there from time to time? Yeah, I, I played for about thirty years and uh, yeah. hung them up about uh, you know eight to ten years ago. Uh, just right. some back issues. Uh, doctor advised me it was not a not a great idea since I'm not getting paid for it to uh, continue playing. <laughs> Put your body through such misery. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I love it. What about entrepreneurial things? Were you involved in that at all uh, growing up? Uh, actually I got my start in that in high school. Um, oh. a friend of mine and I, we, uh, we kind of got the bug and we would go to this, uh, uh, distribution warehouse thing in Chicago and we'd buy a bunch of just goofy like toy items and things like that. And we'd sell them during lunch and study breaks. Oh, um, and it just cool. kind of started the bug from there. Yeah. And so what, what kind of things were those? They were just the stuff you get at like, um, Flea market sales and so forth, or yeah, just imagine do like a gigantic dollar store warehouse with uh, you know like little plastic tchotchkes and toys and and things like that. One of the ones that we really uh, probably a mistake in hindsight. There were these little toy wind up robots, and for you know all of a sudden everybody's got them and they're wandering the halls and people are like, "Where oh, are those God, coming from?" Things. And it's like yeah. uh, busted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What, what did uh, you uh, use that spending, extra spending money for? Uh, well, you know, again, being in high school, just getting your driver's license, we would just yeah. go out to eat. It was like, you know, hey, right. we got spending money. So, you know, a dollar, a dollar in, a dollar out. So Lunch I, off campus. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, didn't have the financial <laughs> background uh, that I do now. So <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you went out of college. You mentioned you did some... Uh, undergraduate or, or rather some, some, uh, associate's degree before, where, where did you go to college? Uh, I went to four different colleges, uh, locally oh. here. Um, yeah, my journey was uh, kind of in a, uh, broken pattern. Uh, didn't really understand what I wanted to do, but I, I started at Triton, um, and I was going for advertising and art. Uh, and then I went to Morton for photography and then, uh, 
I wound up uh, getting my degree in materials management from Harper College, which is in Palatine, okay. Illinois. And then yeah. I also did uh, some time at uh, College of DuPage in accounting. So I, wow. I'm all over the place and I use a well, little bit a of everything. Of, uh, yeah, background yeah. There, nothing right? in technology <laughs> though. <laughs> That's the funny yeah, nothing thing. Nothing in technology. Yeah. So tell, yeah. tell us about that journey. Tell us about some of those choices you made. Yeah. So the, uh, the, the interesting thing is I was um, trying to figure out my, my place in life in, in that yeah. journey. And I took a job as a, well, I was where I should step back. I, I took a job. I was working in a warehouse. That's kind of where I, I got my degree for is to manage the warehouse. But during that time, I was always fixing all the computer systems. This was way back in the early days. Uh, so I had a knack. I would go buy a book and, you know, these like 500 page books. And I would just flip to the page trying to find the problem we had, fix it, move on. Um, that place wound up going out of business. And so I mm. took a job. I had been dabbling in websites because this was the early days of the internet. And sure. uh, I got a job at a, a, a as a programmer at a software company, and I'd never programmed before. So I showed up on the first oh. day and said, okay, now teach me. And the guy who owned the place was like, what do you mean teach you? And I'm like, well, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm a quick study. I'm, I promise I'll learn stuff you just would never get away with today. But um, sure. is by Friday, that first week I was actually writing code and, and just kind of had an aptitude for that stuff. So not, not exactly the way I would recommend starting your, your career in tech, but it, <laughs> it worked for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, that was still during the college years or was that after you graduated? That was after, that was after college. Yeah. Yeah. So did you move into any kind of management positions early on at all, or were you kind of more of an individual contributor in those early days? Well, it was, it's interesting because when I, when I got hired there as a programmer, I quickly wound up getting the title of network administrator as well, because again, you know, stuff was breaking, I was buying books and then I would fix stuff. So I, I showed initiative. That was one of the things that helped yeah. me kind of advance. And then by the time I left there, I, I, I think I was like third or fourth in charge of the business. I was director of operations. So just, you know, again, taking that initiative and, you know, not waiting to be told and seeing a problem and going out and, and fixing it, even if it wasn't in my purview, um, that yeah. just kind of got attention of people. And, and I, I just wound up working my way up to in the company and uh, I, I wound up leaving there because I didn't like the, the culture or the way we treated people or employees or anything like that. So that was yeah. kind of what jettisoned me into the entrepreneurial world. Right. And did you manage people in that operation, in that, I, in that director operations role? I did eventually. Um, it got to be where I, you know, managing the infrastructure was too much and they said, go out and hire somebody. And it's funny because the, the first uh, person that I wound up hiring for that company eventually wound up being the first employee at my company when I, when yeah. I left. Um, he, he was working for a parts supplier and I just happened to go in there right after they had told me I could hire somebody. And he just looked at me and says, you got to get me out of here. And I'm like, hey, they just told me I could hire somebody. You want to come work for me? And he's like, okay. And that was it. That was the job interview. No salary discussion. No qualifications. Uh, but you'd, you'd known him for a while. You'd been buying parts from him, I presume. Yeah. So I knew he had aptitude and we got along. And it was just one of those things where, you know, again, you wouldn't write this in a manual of how to do things, but it's just kind of funny how the universe works sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then he came with you when you started Webit Services. So let, tell us a little bit about that. What was the impetus around uh, starting your own business about 25, 26 years ago now, right? Yeah. So I was, I was, um, 
I, I was just frustrated with, you know, kind of my, my place in life. And I was, I was getting a lot more work and a lot more hours and a lot more titles, but not a lot of compensation for it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not overworked and underloved. I yeah. Exactly. And I, I'm not really one of these people who's like money driven, like I got to be a billionaire. But at the same time, I, I, I know my worth. And, you know, if I'm contributing and helping, you know, drive something, I should be compensated for it. And everybody should. So I just, you know, I, I had a conversation with my father and he he was, you know, probably one of the worst business people ever. Um, he didn't understand big heart, but just not really wired to you know, run a business. And I was talking to him one day as like, I was just frustrated. And he's like, well, you have a credit card. Why don't you start your own business? Again, not advice for your audience. That's that's, that's, (laughs) maybe not something you want to tell your kid either. (laughs) Exactly. But you know, I believed enough in, in him and he believed enough in me. And I just woke up one day, went to the office and gave my two weeks notice, no business plan, no nothing. Uh, and that was pretty much the leap. Yeah, great. Well, tell us what was the uh, the first customer you had? Did you bring somebody from your previous, uh, you know, work, or or did you, you know, advertise, or how did you get the whole thing started, it, or it even was, decide what you wanted to do in that matter? Well, I knew I, it was going to be in technology. Um, yeah. I I didn't realize it was going to be in IT services, but uh, there were a couple. You kind of get a label as a computer guy, you know, at least back in those days, you did. Right. Um, so I had a couple friends that were on the hockey team at the time, and both of them were in healthcare. And they had been having me kind of do some repair stuff on the side. And I was just charging them like a flat fee every month to do it. So, you know, kind of technically they were. But then when I left the software company, there was some stuff that I had written uh, that the the old company was not going to support. So that company called up and they wound up being a client for a good 20 years. Um, So I wound up you know, supporting that and then eventually uh, doing some other network management and uh, maintenance stuff for them as well. And they were in California, which was kind of crazy. Yeah. And was it kind of network administration stuff or, or did you do infrastructure support as well? What, you know, what, what were those early projects? Yeah, we were, we were augmenting the staff they had. So since they had kind of a relationship already with me from uh, the, the software company days, um, we, we kind of knew how to work with each other and where they were lacking in some skill areas, uh, we were able to augment that. And then that relationship just kind of grew. And it was it was funny because over those 20 years, I think they had like three different regime changes. So there was a point in time where we were working with people that we had never met in the flesh, didn't know anything about. And then eventually towards the end of the relationship, we were flying out there uh, from Chicago to to San Jose a couple times a month uh, when they were in some having some difficulties. So uh, but, you know, all in all, 20 years, you were doing remote work before it was even popular before it was really even possible that was the fun thing like with with dial-up connections and things like that uh yeah definitely a lot more challenging then than it is now yeah yeah cool and uh how many employees today and and what's your span of operations yeah we're just under 40 um we have three divisions now so we have the managed it services uh managed it security and then uh, our software development division, Upstream Impact, um, they work primarily in the nonprofit space. And right. we just launched our first uh, first full-blown application uh, in first quarter of this year called Pantry Easy. And yeah. it's an uh, online market for uh, nonprofit food pantries. Oh, cool. Cool. And did the uh, guy that you 
brought from the parts distributor. Is he still with you today? No, he left about three years ago, but uh, okay. we're still really good friends and we're actually yeah. running a half marathon together in October. So, nice. um, you know, relationships nice. tend to stick if they're done for the right reasons, if you connect Absolutely. with people for, for those reasons. How has your leadership uh, style changed, if at all, over the last 25 years? Oh, it's, it's, well, it, it didn't exist at the beginning. I was, I was pretty much an emotional, <laughs> you, you learned as you went, right? Yeah. I'm an emotional hothead. So, uh, it's, it's evolved quite a bit over time. Uh, definitely mellowed a lot. Um, I just, I wear my heart on my sleeve. So that's not really a good leadership style. People will, people will follow you if they believe in the mission, but you can't yeah. beat them down all the time. So I had to learn a lot about, um, you know, first, first loving myself before I could love others. So there was a whole mm. journey I had to go through to evolve as a, as, as a person first and then as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, how did you kind of accomplish that journey? Did you have some help? Did you work with outside consultants? Was it kind of more introspective, meditative? about those conclusions? Co coaching definitely is uh, something I strongly recommend for anybody in, in a leadership position. I was, I was right. fortunate enough to get uh, connected with a coach out of Philadelphia. His name is Doug Diamond. And uh, he became a very close personal friend along the journey. Uh, mm. He's actually the one who, who talked me into going into therapy, which was another part of the journey. Uh, so yeah, there were a lot of bits and pieces, but, uh, you know, definitely have a lot, have had a lot of different coaches uh, over my career. I think we've got like three or four today in the business right now. So, uh, it's something I, I strongly believe in cause you, yeah. you don't know everything and it's a constant journey of improvement. Did you guys use assessments at all? You know, where you did some psychographic analysis of your background to kind of help to get to know yourself? I've, I've done all those, you know, like the disc and Myers-Briggs and all that right. stuff. And, and it, it definitely has, has evolved a bit over the year, but, um, I'm, I, I'm definitely an introvert. Um, I, you know, my sales is my role here now. So I love the big picture, the visionary stuff, uh, building the relationships, the, the detail stuff, the day to day, not so much. That's you, you if, if you, if you want a process put together or some, some sort of structure, that's really not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd mentioned uh, some outside coaches. Were there any mentors that helped you along the way? And so tell us a little bit about those relationships. Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, my dad was uh, a really huge part. Um, fortunately, he passed away in 2013, so he hasn't mm. seen a lot of the fruits of the labor. But uh, he's he's like the first person, you know, who got me to believe in myself. That was a yeah. big thing is, it's, yeah. you know, if you don't believe in yourself, it's it's pretty hard to make any kind of contribution anywhere else. Right. Yeah. And then, and then some of the, some of the people, like I mentioned, Doug, uh, you know, I consider him more than a coach because he, he, he took a personal interest in that. Um, you know, we work with, uh, we, we practice EOS, uh, which is based on the uh -huh. book traction. Uh, we have a, a traction, an EOS coach and, and he's taken a, a personal interest in the business. So consider him a close personal friend. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's been a lot of people, but, uh, yeah, there's, it, it all kind of started with my dad. That's awesome. Do you do regular L10 meetings with your team? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have them yeah. um, leadership departmental. There's, there's L10s going on pretty much every day here. I would, I would gather at this point. Wow. Wow. Cool. Excellent. Yeah. We, we work with a couple of clients that uh, have embraced EOS and it really makes a huge difference. What, what, what kind of an impact is that? First of all, how long have you been doing EOS and what kind of an impact do you think that's had on the organization? 
Yeah, so the 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 person who's our president now, uh, Paul Armstrong, he came in from a, an organization probably twice our size at the time he came over, and that was about three years ago. Well, a little more, maybe three and a half at this point. And he wanted to bring EOS right away, and I resisted at first. You know, a lot of change, a lot of new ideas, and when you're the founder, it's you know sometimes those things are hard to accept. Um, right. And traction for me as as you know as a dyslexic and a visionary uh, that that reads more like a user manual, so it didn't really resonate. Uh, mm-hmm. But they have another book called Get a Grip in the series, and that's more of a, a, a fable. And and when you tell me a story, and I can connect the dots and see how it was applied in a, in a story uh, principle, that's when it really kind of started you hitting me. The difference yeah. between him and I, he's a full on integrator, so the day to day stuff right. and the trains on time, like that's his that's his thing. So it took us about a year to get on the same page for that, and then uh, we we did self implement a little bit, and then realized like, hey, if we're going to go all in on this, we need a coach, and we need somebody to really, you know, help us stick to the format. And that's about a, about a year, year and a half ago is when all the, the big impact really started happening with that. Got it. And what were some of those things that changed? Well, for, I mean, first and foremost, the relationship between uh, him and I uh, in terms of, you know, what, what our contributions are, holding each other accountable, getting the accountability mm-hmm. in the organization, but just being on the same page, you know, because as right. a visionary, I tend to come in with 30 crazy ideas a day and right. he can handle that. But, you know, again, trying to keep the, you know, the rest of the team engaged and focused, uh, that's not a visionary thing. So I would yeah. drive people crazy here. So, so getting my crazy box really, you know, having a place to put those ideas because you don't want to change the visionary. Like you still want right. to allow the, that right. creativity. Um, but once, once we did that, um, you know, and then, and then started rolling out the level tens to the departments, um, and really just starting to give people a kind of a clearer picture of where we're going. Uh, and we did all this while we were uh, becoming employee owned too, which, you know, a lot, lot of irons in the fire. So, you know, just trying to, trying to stay focused on the most important things that will help move the needle. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us about the uh, employee owned direction. I know we spoke about that when we had our first call about a month or so ago, what was kind of your inspiration around, uh, uh, forming an ESOP? Yeah. So I've been part of a lot of peer groups, uh, over the years and, you know, the, even early on, one of the first things they tell you, or they ask you is to start thinking about an exit strategy. And, you know, when you're in your twenties and thirties, like exit strategy is so far (laughs) off. Like (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm trying to pay the bills, you know, much, much less think about, you know, retiring. Um, so I just kind of put it in the back of my head and just ignored that for a while. And then as, as you know, the business started to mature, I started to realize that, you know, there will come a time where I either can't or won't want to do this. And, you know, it's not fair to the, to the people who have helped build this. So like, what does that look like? And prior to 2016, um, we, you know, I hadn't heard of open book management and, uh, Doug got me involved, you know, read the book and the natural path for companies that open their books and teach financial literacy, a percentage of them wind up becoming employee owned because it's just kind of a natural progression. And I couldn't, I couldn't envision selling my business to private equity or venture capital, mm. which is what a lot of my peers have done. And, you know, it, it ever, the choice is different for everybody. It's just my personal values. It's like, there's so many people, I see the hard work they put in every day and it's like, it, it felt to me, and again, this is just personal, this is how I'm wired. It felt dirty to take a giant bag of money, 
on the back of somebody else's, you know, labor. Yeah, not so yeah, yeah right. that, that, and that's just, that, that just became a natural path for me to, you know, that's how you share it. And as, as we got more involved in this, there's just such an income inequality gap in the United States. And mm. I'm like, well, this is a good way to, you know, make a small dent in that because now you have like, you know, upwards of 40 people. And as we grow even more, we'll, we'll start to share and participate. It's a little ripple, you know, in an ocean, but you, you have to start somewhere. And right. the goal is to really become like a beacon for other organizations. We have some clients that are interested in this. We actually have a client mm. who is an ESOP. Um, so, you know, just trying to change the conversation over the next generation. So is it, has it been an increasing percentage over time or did you guys start with, you know, it's a 55, you know, 45 split or how have you kind of managed that ownership structure? Yeah, right now the, the first tranche we did was 30%. And, mm -hmm. you know, part of the reason was I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So it wasn't a liquidity event or anything like that. Right. Uh, I seller financed it so that, you know, we still maintain, maintain control in case there's any challenges that pop up in the business or an opportunity right. where we need to divert cash somewhere <clears throat> else. Um, those are important things to, to consider because you can, you know, sink the ship if you take on too much of a debt load too quickly and the business is in right. a position to pay it back. So 30, yeah. 30 percent was the first tranche. And then we're trying to figure out what the next 70 will look what like. Be on there. Great. And is it shared across all employees kind of as a percentage of salary? Is that how you worked out the ownership or, or, you know, if you don't mind sharing kind sure. of the formula, because sure. some of our listeners probably don't even know what an ESOP is. So yeah, a lot of it's based on compensation and then uh, tenure. So the longer right. you're here, um, pretty much every year, you know, just from a, a high level, every year you have to get evaluation done on the business. Yeah. And then you do that uh, by an outside consultant, right? Yep. A third party comes yeah. in and does the valuation and then, uh, they, you know, reevaluate the shares and then issue new shares to, uh, employees again, based on tenure and comp, uh, compensation. And then you have to be here a total of six years to be a hundred percent vested. So got it. By your second year, you're 20%, 40%, 60, yeah, 80, and then 100. Yeah, awesome. Mm -hmm. And it, this has been about five, six years in place? Did you say you started in 15? Uh, well, we started investigating it in 2016, and we actually launched it this year. So this is this oh, is technically it. the first year of, of the ESOP, but we yeah. put a yeah. lot of research into it. Right, right. And have you done a distribution yet to any of the employees or, or you haven't hit that first year yet? That yeah, year. that'll the, the, the share issue will be done uh, December 31st. We'll close the right. books on the first year of it and then shares will be issued uh, shortly thereafter in the first quarter. Yeah, cool, cool. Is there some anticipation among the staff and, you know, how was it received when you communicated this is what you were doing? It's it's interesting because it's a it's kind of a mixed bag. So the the employees who have been here for a longer time and you know have heard the talk for a while, um, I think some of them were surprised we finally got there because we'd been talking about it so long. <laughs> right, right. Um, we just recently had a, uh, a like an hour and a half session with our ESOP advisor and kind of went into the details of this. So I think it became a little clearer for everybody. Right. Right. But more real. Yeah. yeah. Just understanding that this is, you know, more of a retirement plan and not a get rich quick type thing yeah. that, you know, right. this is, you know, you're going to, yeah, you're going to work for somebody, um, somewhere and why not, 
you know, get a share of the value you're creating. So yeah. it's slowly, it's starting to sink in, I think, but I think there's still going to be a lot of questions, especially next year when that first batch of share statements are yeah. issued, you know, people like, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> or wow, this is great. You yeah. want to stay on another year. You know, yeah, exactly. I, think I mentioned to you that, that we work with quite a few different ESOP co companies and you know, it, it's hit and miss. Um, it, it really does. It's really important to get it right. But when you do, it's, it's wonderful. It increases retention, loyalty. You know, people really do have that level of ownership and they, and they show that. I've seen it, you know, in the clients we've worked with. So best of luck with that. We'll have to have a follow-up podcast, Eric, and hear about it in five years from now. So <laughs> let's, let's, let's book let's it and make sure we got it on the calendar. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about your company culture. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how people describe uh, what, what, you know, what it's like in terms of a place to work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good segue too, because one of the things just to kind of put a pin in the, the ESOP thing is, um, you know, why we spent so much time on this because ESOP will not fix a broken culture. That's and right. yeah. that's an important uh, point to, to just kind of drive home that if you're if you're trying to do this to, to change the culture, it's not going to have that effect. Yeah. So yeah. we had to go through kind of a metamorphosis on the culture uh, to get it where it is today. And, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's definitely, you know, we have a very uh, defined set of values that we live by. Um, we actually fired our fifth largest client this year for violating our values. And it was, you know, it's a significant revenue loss, um, but it sets the message in terms of like, these aren't just, you know, uh, flowery statements on a wall somewhere. These are, this is, we live and die by these and we make hiring and firing decisions both on clients and employees. So um, that, that set a tone for everybody, I think, but we're, we're still like a lot of companies, I think we're challenged with the, the post pandemic or whatever mm -hmm. we're in now, the hybrid pandemic. workforce. Yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever it's, whatever it's called today. Yeah. Um, the fact that we're not together as much as we used to be, yeah. uh, it yeah. definitely changed some things. And mm. we just had a in-person uh, barbecue this week and you could tell everybody's like, you know, like, wow, we should do more of these because you know, we don't, we're not seeing each other as much. Yeah. 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 Cool. <clears throat> and what do you think uh, keeps people at the company? Well, I mean, you know, that's, this is just a biased opinion, so you'd have to ask them, but we, we do, <laughs> we do survey uh, quite a bit and we just got done on a listening tour. Um, one of the things I was surprised at, and again, I'm, I'm not in the day to day as much cause I'm on the sales side some uh, more now. Um, but everybody was saying how communication has actually improved over the last couple of years. Mm. And I would have thought the opposite. Yeah. During the pandemic. That's interesting. Yeah. But, but because of being a technology company and being able to use things like teams and, and, you know, zoom and video and things like that, um, people finding they're getting more work done and actually having time to spend with family cause they don't have to commute as much. So, right. um, you know, there's, there's definitely been some benefits to that. Um, you know, so, but I, I, I think there's that and the way we treat people, um, the fact that we do offer, uh, the ownership, uh, we have company paid health insurance from day one, hundred percent. Uh, so, you know, we try to give them the things that they're asking for, but we also do a lot of asking and listening, uh, right. just to make sure we're not following along with what every other company does. And it's, yeah. it has no meaning to the, to the actual, you know, people who are on the front lines. What do you look for when you're uh, making bets on the people you invested in and hire, Eric? 
Um, well, outside of the core values, like we, we really want to make sure they understand that, you know, if, if you don't align with these, please don't come here because you won't survive in the culture. Um, coachability is an, is, is a, a big thing. Um, yeah. nobody knows everything and no matter how smart you are, if you come in and you're not coachable, if you're not willing to be part of a team, understand that you may have great ideas. They may not, might not all get adopted because of, you know, how we structure things. Um, you know, those, those are the things we, we really look for how much, you know, how much of an avid reader are you? How much do you go out mm -hmm. and seek information? Um, you have to be a lifelong learner in technology. I mean, it's, yeah. it, you know, just in the time we're having this conversation, I'm sure there's like three or four new things that they all have to learn because technology has evolved so much. That's right. Yeah. That's so right. that, those are kind of the high points of what we look for. Cool. Do you have a favorite interview question you like to ask people? Um, I, you know, they don't let me in the interviews anymore. <laughs> so our Come hiring, on, you have to get involved with one or two. What if it's our, a direct report? Our hiring success has gone way up since, since <laughs> I, I, I tend to believe everybody and I tend to trust everybody out of the gate. So that's kind of a, uh, my downfall, but I like right. to know, you know, especially if we're interviewing technical people, I want to know how they got started in tech. Like what was that yeah. flashpoint? Um, and most of the nerds and people take that as a, a term of endearment around here. Um, right. they're curious, just, you know, just like I was, you know, ripping stuff apart, uh, right. you know, picked up a programming book and just started learning how to program. Uh, they're curious by nature. So asking the question of how you, how you got into tech, like what, what drove you into this crazy world we live in? Um, right. that's, that's typically my favorite question. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question. We always ask our CEO guest, Eric, and that's uh, what kind of career and life advice would you give someone that maybe is, you know, thinking about uh, founding their own enterprise or, or maybe climbing the, you know, the, the stairs of the ladder to corner office of their own? Sure. Well, there's, there's one thing that I wish I, uh, you know, I wish I had read the book earlier, um, but there's a book by Patrick Lencioni, Patrick Lencioni called The Motive, and okay. it really tipped my understanding of what it means to be the leader of a company because a lot of the peer groups I had been in, they're trying to drive you to build this organization that like then caters to you and your life gets easier and you're basically sitting back on a beach letting other people do work. But if you're seriously trying to build something that has value and, and makes a difference in the world, your job's going to get harder the bigger you grow and the higher up right. the food chain you go. So yeah. that like grab that book. If you're thinking about you know, a career or trying to get that corner office, the CEO job, read that book and see how it resonates with you before you make that leap. Because if you do it right, it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got another great one too. Is that the five functions of dis dysfunctional teams or something? Yeah. Like the that. Fi no, five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, five we, dysfunctions we, of a team. we've lived all that here. So yeah, his, every book he's written because he, he writes in the style that I like, he writes fables. Yeah, yeah. So it's fables, not an instruction right. manual. It's not a program. It's not a, in anything else. He, he writes stories, but they are so believable and they hit home. And it's like, you know, when I read that, it was like, Oh crap, I've been thinking about this the whole wrong way. I'm at the bottom of the period pyramid and, yeah. and it's going to get a lot tougher. So your mental aspects of it have to change as well. Wonderful. Well, Eric Rieger, CEO of Webit Services, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. My pleasure, Brent. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.